Um, this morning, I'm going to um, be in Romans 8, which if you've been around for a while, I love Romans 8. And this week in our reading, we were in Romans 8, and I could not not um, be in Romans 8. So we're, we're going to Romans 7, um, 21 through 25. We're going to get a taste of that, and then I'm going to go into Romans 8, 1 through 11 in a minute. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to get them there, um, we'll be there in just a few minutes. And here, here's, here's what I want to hit this morning. Is the likelihood, is there's, there's one thing for us to, to claim. Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and who he is for others. It's a little bit more difficult for us to live in Christ, which is what we're going to talk about this morning how do we live in this reality? And I'm just going to tell you that I'm not going to answer all your questions, but I want to stir it in us. Is that how do we live in this reality that we have the desire to, but we live in this, which is our flesh and our bodies. And we have this war with us. Anybody, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Uh, but it's a struggle. It's a struggle to live here and, and have this desire and, and want to please Jesus and want to be his servant and want to you know love others as we should. And then the other side of us is living in this place of being constantly aware of this war that's going on inside of us. And so this morning, what I want to do is acknowledge that this war in us can only be won in one way. And that one way isn't your effort. It isn't your energy. Now, it, those are after results of that one way. And that one way is being in Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to do in us what we cannot do ourselves. And that's the beauty of Romans. And if you've, if you've ventured into Romans, Romans, you know, make sure you get through the first four chapters. Like if you only read the first four chapters of Romans, you're going to feel pretty bad. About yourself, because you don't get the good stuff. You you get pretty beat up. And part of that is understanding that we need to know that we need Jesus. I think part of our culture is we're not so sure that we really need him that bad compared to other people. We feel like, you know, we're not that bad of people. But when we understand the purity that God calls us to live in, it elevates this standard that we have no capacity to fix in us. Let me pray before we get into the word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't know where everyone in this room is at this moment. I don't know if they're riding on cloud nine, loving, experiencing you, or whether they're in the valley, questioning everything about themselves questioning your love for them, questioning who they are in you. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would stand firm in the reality of who you are in us. That in us, we have the capacity to be your children. We have the capacity to live the life that you've called us to. And Lord, this morning, we, we cast off um, our, our effort. And Lord, we, we call on your name. Lord, we, we declare, just like the song that we sang a minute ago, is that there is power in your name. 
that you have the capacity to set us free. You have the capacity to help us live in a place of peace and joy and security in you. So, Lord, I pray that your word would speak through me today. Lord, that this text would uh, elevate in us our desire for you and our trust in you. And so, Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So that tension that I talked about earlier, this we know, but we we don't know. And we're going to see that in a, in a little bit in Romans 7, where Paul's struggling with his own self. And so we constantly need to be reminded again and again. And the beauty of this is at the end of service, we're going to take communion together. And communion, I think, is one of the best reminders. If it's not polluted by the sense that, and I don't mean the bread or anything's polluted, but if it's not polluted in the sense that it's just something that we do as a religious institution is that we take communion, but we look at this as a reminder that we haven't the ability to set ourselves free. And when we're taking communion as communion as children of God, we're declaring that we need your sacrifice. So finally, and this is Philippians 3, one. it's not going to be on the screen behind you, so don't freak out, Megan. There's going to be like three scriptures that aren't going to be on there. Did that on purpose. And, and, and this is titled under this righteousness through faith in Christ. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write these same things to you is no trouble for me and it is safe for you. Let me just tell you, and I, I think uh, in January 20th, I, I taught on part of this section of scripture. And I'm like, oh, man, there's, you know, six months later. Look, it's okay. Because we need to constantly be reminded of who we are in Christ. It is no trouble for us to be reminded over and over again. And we need to do it to ourselves. So let me catch up. So now we're, we're getting into Romans. Um, and let me just kind of give you what's happened so far. And I'm not going to even by the stretch, try to give you every little detail. But um, so much has happened leading up to seven. So in the first four chapters or five leading up to seven, it says all humanity, and this is kind of what it's been telling us, all humanity is trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. All of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including those that stand up front with a microphone and a Bible. And, you know, this is the pulpit right here. Music stand. I called it a, uh, a microphone stand last week with the church, and he's like, you need a microphone stand? Anyway, so we struggle. <laughs> oh, humanity is trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. The second thing is rescue won't happen by trying to obey the laws of the Torah, which we know that because that's not really our laws unless you were raised in a Jewish culture. Um, that wasn't, you know, what we were raised in, the Torah, but He's talking to a people that are that are very much aware that they have for generations tried to make themselves redeemed. They've tried to. And and Jesus told us, Romans is telling us over and over again that we will not be redeemed. We won't be rescued by obeying the law of the Torah. And. And another thing that we've also learned up to this point is that God's righteousness has rescued us through Jesus to create a people that are his possessions, that he has done this to bring us into his family. He has done what we are unable to do to bring us to him. 
And so this is this is Paul and Paul is writing this letter to a church that is divided. So it's in Rome. And we talked about this a couple of um, actually we didn't. I talked about it last week, which you didn't hear because I was at another church. You'll hear it later on. Um, but Paul was writing to this place that he had been striving to go to. He's been writing to the Roman church. And, and what's happened there is um, Claudius kicked out the Jews for a period of time. And so you see that, and I think it's Acts 18, you see, um, uh, um, oh my gosh, Priscilla and Aquila were exiled, and that's where Paul runs into them because they're in Corinth because they've been made to leave. And so you have a church that was unified. The emperor of Rome makes the, the um, Jews leave so that Jewish Christians that were part of the Gentiles leave. And so then it's just the Gentiles who are kind of doing their thing the best that they can. And then the Jews are allowed back in. So then you have this church that's divided about who is and who isn't. So Paul's writing this letter trying to bring unity and truth to who Jesus is and what the gospel is and how we as a church function. And so we have this leading up to Romans seven twenty one through 25, and you have this kind of, um, I, I love this. So, so some commentaries would say that, that this is, the, the two thoughts of this is, this is Paul pre-salvation, which I don't agree with, the, what we're getting ready to read, the struggle that he's having, or Paul post-salvation, post-Jesus, post-being-redeemed, the struggle. And so he's having this inner struggle, which we've talked about here before, where, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. Anyone else? Like, like I don't know about you husbands, um, but, like, during the middle of the day is some of my best planning for how awesome the night is going to be. And I that sounded really weird. <laughs> I, I meant family time. <laughs> I promise. I just meant like how like there's just you have these expectations like dinner time. There's going to be like conversions at dinner time, and there's going to be awesome talks about Jesus, and we're going to start this new hour long prayer. You know, I don't really think that, but you, during the day you just kind of have these expectations. It's going to be, and then you walk in the door, and one little crossword, you're like. It's not. I don't know how many of those, but that's what's going on inside of us, that we have this desire, we have this thing that we want to do, but we don't want to do it. And then the things that we don't want to do, we end up doing the things that, like, the, the you that's telling you when you get home, let's be real nice. Let's be real nice to the children. Let's not yell or whatever. We walk in the door and that other you comes out. So Romans 7, verse 21. Here, here's at the, so what I just said a second ago, this is the continuation. After Paul saying the things I don't want to do, I'm, I'm struggling with. So in verse 21, it says, so I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And why this is important, why, why I say, you know, you're like, what does it matter whether it's post or, you know, before Paul was saved or after Paul was saved? I, I believe, and, and, and most biblical scholars would lean that this is after Paul's conversion. And the reason why it's important, the reason why we want it to be that way is that Paul 
struggled with sin. Paul struggled with the battle that's going on because there's there's an illusion that some of us have taken on that you think that everyone else sitting around you has, you know, once they said yes to Jesus, that they have all of these perfect lives. That, you know, not to point at you, Jerry, Jerry's got his arm around his spouse and everybody's looking like, man, if our relationship could just be like that. And not, I'm not, like, I, this is not, anyway, anyway, I hate when I pick on people, but, you know, but you can look around and go, man, look how sweet they are, look how, you know, how, oh, you know, if, if we could just be like that, because you might sit across the room and be like, don't even touch me, like, I know we're in church, but like, your shoulders, like, just space. And, and we think that, that, that no one else, and when we live in this world where we believe that we're the only sinner in the room, the enemy has the capacity to take your life from you, steal your joy and peace and happiness, because inside of your head, you're the only one that's aware of what's going on. You have no idea what's going on as much as you look around the room and, and you make speculations of how families are going and, and you see kids walking in here and you're like, man, if I could just get my kids to match, if I could get my kids to behave. I mean, you don't know what happened. You don't know what either treat or punishment is going to happen if those kids misbehave. You don't see them outside of here. And the reason why I want that, I want to see the reality that in spite, this is Paul who wrote most of the New Testament that's saying there's a war within me. A war that we are required to fight. Don't get me wrong. But there's a war in me in verse 25. I mean, this is Paul. This is the guy who, like, out of the list of, like, disciples, he's not the one I want to see because he scares me. Like, I want, I want the Peter that's like... He cut off somebody's ear. I mean, he did lots of dumb things. I'd be like, I feel like he could empathize with me. Paul would be like, he, like, serious? And here he is in verse 24. It says, wretched man that I am. Now, Paul saying, wretched man that I am. Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? This, this tension that we have in verse 25. It says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve this law of sin. Like there's a tension here. Can you empathize with what's going on with Paul? Can you empathize with this tension inside? See, as we grow into the likeness, We'll need to constantly be reminded of this next verse. So we have, O wretched man that I am. And, and these are intentional. This is what's going on in verse 7. And then there, there's this transition into 8. And, and I'm going to tell you at this at the end of service. If you could do one thing. If you forget everything that I say today. But you remember this one thing. Read Romans 8. A few times this week. Out loud, preferably. Just read it. There, there's so much. I'm telling you, you you've, you've been justified up until this point. We've talked about just, not we, but Romans has talked about being justified and sanctified. And this is the life that we get to live with Christ. And then you have Romans 8.1, which if you don't have Romans 8.1 memorized, you should. 
Because when you're feeling battered and abused, when you feel like, oh my gosh, I am worthless, I, you know, I don't deserve Jesus like I am, am not, you need Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which you're going to hear this phrase again, in Christ Jesus is the important thing. It's not you are there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are at church this morning, for those who give in the box this afternoon, for those who read devotions during the week. It is the in Christ Jesus. Let me read this again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus condemnation. That means being condemned. That means it's a verdict that you're done, that you're guilty, that you're finished. I'm not talking about conviction. There should be lots of conviction in our lives where we do something that we shouldn't do and that Holy Spirit goes, hmm. Conviction, there's hope in conviction because conviction wants change. We're condemnation. You're done. You're finished. There's nowhere to come from this. The end is very important. So in verse 2, so he, he gives this, at the beginning of verse 2, there's this word called for, which if you're not careful, you'll just, you know, go right through it. The for is like the because. Like, so you, you have to have one and what came before it to understand two. So he's telling you there, there's, no, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for, and this is why, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, this war inside of us. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's a lot. In that there's I mean, literally, we could unpack all this stuff all day long. God did what we couldn't. See, if you're trying to rescue yourself, it's going to be in, you, you. You're not you're unable. You were you were born with a deficit that you could never overcome. You were born into it like those that that struggle with original sin, like I struggle with people that don't agree with the original sin if they've had children. Because, like, you know, later on, some of my children's bad habits are, are me. I've just got to say. But early on, like, before you can really teach them anything, little self-centered jokers. <laughs> I mean, but they're cute. I, mean, I think that's why God made babies so cute. It's like, <laughs> You're ruining my life because I don't sleep anymore, but you're so cute. I'm going to feed you. I mean, but they're they're constantly like you. You want to. It's all about them. Like, I'm, I'm hungry. I want to be changed. There, there's there's no there's this original the original sin is an issue other than it's in us. See, the problem with the mindset that later we'll be able to fix the deficit. The problem is, is that 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 once we've crossed the line from Purity to impurity, there's no coming back. And we were born in impurity. We were born into this place that we couldn't fix by our behavior. And that's what I said earlier. There was no amount of measuring the law that's going to fix the issue inside of you. 
There's none of that. And so God knew that he's always had heart for his people created in his image. And he's told them from the beginning of Genesis 3.15 that he was going to send his son. And here he's done it. And he's telling them that he did what you couldn't do. Which is, which is the greatest news. And this isn't, hey, stop trying. This isn't cheap grace. This is God has done what we couldn't do. So that, that tension that you have in, inside of you of desiring the things of God, but also living in the flesh, your only resolution to that is the Holy Spirit. So when he, when he says here, in the likeness of sinful flesh, so Jesus came in the likeness, he wasn't born into that. He didn't have this stain. He was perfect and sinless and did every single thing. I would love to have seen, like, puberty with Jesus, like, with no sin. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like to, like, wholly be like, yes, now, now the, the 12-year-old, like, staying behind in Jerusalem, like, Like, I don't know what Mary thought about spanking, but like, <laughs> like three days. And he's like, I have to be about my father's business. But like, you're going to be about some other business. Um, sorry, Jesus. I mean, like, just, that's, I'm trying to be funny here. But I mean, like, seriously, in all of that, he didn't sin for us. So that when he made himself the sacrifice for us, it would be worthy. And he did. He was the worthy sacrifice for us. See, this this begins one of the main points of the gospel is that you cannot, but Christ can. That's why when in verse one and two, it says in Christ is important. It's not, you know, proclaim the name of Jesus. It's, It's this in which is a position. See, I think sometimes we're like, yes. I believe in Jesus because when I was eight years old, I said a prayer. See, our salvation is positional in Christ, not not a moment that we did something. It's I want to be in Christ and in Christ is where we live in this place of power. See, in verse five, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set your mind on, what are you trusting in? Because I think sometimes we're like, oh, Spirit, like, you're like driving down the road, but like spiritual things, spiritual things. It's who are we trusting in? When you set your mind on the flesh, like, am I trusting in my ability to free myself from the things that are warring inside of me? Or do I trust? In the Holy Spirit. Because when we set our mind on that, there's hostility, which we're going to see towards God. It cannot obey. But when we set our mind in the flat, I mean, in the spirit of God, there's power for us to live the life that he's called us to. Galatians 3, 3, which is also not going to be on the board behind you. Sorry. Paul in Galatians is, is sending a letter to his church and, and they're, they're struggling with this. What does it mean to be obedient? What does it mean to, to really be a follower of Jesus? And there's so many like weird things that are happening. You should, should or shouldn't be circumcised and all these different things. And then he, Paul says this statement in Galatians 3.3. 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, so it's God started this thing in you, because God calls us 
He regenerates our hearts. So if he started it, how are you so foolish? Having been begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And see, don't my fear in talking about this is that you're going to hear one of two things. You're going to hear one thing that's like, don't do anything. Sit back like the Holy Spirit's going to do all the work. Or there's the other side of us that will hear this that says we're going to perfect it by the flesh. But then we try harder to perfect it in the flesh instead of going, I'm your child. That you love and I I want to set my mind here. And I don't know not to to go back two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of destroying these high places, these things in your life that are that are causing you trouble. The same thing, are we setting our mind on things that are going to get us in a place of death and destruction? Because here's what happens in verse 6. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Like if I was selling something, do you want death or do you want life or peace? Life or peace. See, this is the war, because all of us will go, yes, I want life and peace. But we choose death on a daily basis. We choose the lesser over and over again. Verse 7, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. For those, and, and this is a little disclaimer, because the next six weeks after the Sunday, we're going to start a series called Opportunities and Options, which is going to talk about um, leading up to our two services, and that those words are related to our services, but they're also related to our opportunity and options for us interacting with the kingdom that God has called us to minister to, to this town that we're called to minister to. And every time lost people bother you, Every time lost people make decisions that they shouldn't, remember this verse. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. They cannot choose outside of the redemptive work of Christ. This is why we minister. This is why we share the gospel, because the gospel is the hope and power of the resurrection. It's the hope and power of the redemption for every single person you interact with. So when when people out there do dumb things, they don't have another choice. And I'm not giving them like, oh, you know, it's not their fault. But I'm just saying, until God does a work in them, that's their mind. We cannot produce something that's not in us. If if Christ is not in us, we cannot produce this life of righteousness, this life that he wants us to. Um, Luke 6.43, also not going to be on the screen behind you. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good for fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from bramble bushes. A good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We cannot produce the life that we desire without being in Christ. We, we cannot. We, we need Him in us. 
Verse 9, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is the key point of today, because without the spirit, there's no transformation or life. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, this death that we're in. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit of Jesus is in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the tomb is in us. If you want Something fixed in your life, it's not going to come from your flesh. It's going to come from the spirit that lives in you. He's going to give life to your mortal bodies. He's going to give us the ability to seek and to have a heart for him and to do the things that he's asking us to do. So listen to this. Let us never forget. That we are neither justified in our own strength, nor are sanctified in our own strength. We are not able to save ourselves from sin, justification. And we are not able to live the Christian life in our own strength, sanctification. It is all through Christ and Him alone. Like, this is our power. And the problem is, right now, some of us in this room, including me at times, are trusting in the wrong thing. Because you're, you're, you're thinking, how am I going to fix what's going on inside of me? And the only place that you're looking is you. And I'm just telling you, like, I don't know if your track record's like my track record. But, like, usually when I try to fix things, it doesn't me. I got a lawnmower broken in my front yard, so if you ride by my house, don't judge me right now. It's sitting there right now. Picked up bearings this morning. I'm going to be working that out a little bit later. But this is our life. Like, if I'm going to try to, like, here, I didn't know that lawnmower. Noah was driving it. He thought, Dad is going to kill me. Because the tire that was on the lawnmower is not where it was a few minutes ago. And it wasn't. And I, like, and part of me, I'm like, what have you done, boy? You're going to have to push mow this yard forever. But the problem is, is, is like everything else, I take for granted my lawnmower and use it when it works. And you know the last time I thought about those bearings in that tire? Never. You know what was going on in those bearings? They were wearing out. And I ignored them because I didn't really think about the baron. And it was not Noah's fault. He didn't do anything wrong. But we're the same way. We have these things that are going on in our life and we're ignoring it, thinking in the flesh, in the in I'm trusting in the bearing. Instead of like if I would have just picked the front end of that car I mean the lawnmower up and, and moved the tire like this, if your tire moves, like you hear click, 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 click. that's not good. And so we have these things in our life right now. Right now, in your life, you have things that you're ignoring. 
And sooner or later, that wheel is going to come off. Sooner or later, your lawnmower is going to be sitting in your front yard. And that's our life. And so here, here's my call for you this morning. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in those wheels to keep on turning? Or are you going, Jesus, I need you. Look, I'm telling you, there is, there is nothing that's going to set us in a place that we need to be of wholeness outside of the living God. And when we sing these songs that says, your name is power, I think sometimes we go like, yeah, Jesus. His name is power. Like right now, in this room, right now, the power of the living God can bring resurrection, life to you right now. If you've been living with busted wheels and you've been living with this, you know, whatever that's going on in your life that, you know, if you can ignore it all you want, if you own a car and it starts making a noise that it wasn't making before, you should get that checked out. How much more so in our own life are we ignoring these things when God's saying, trust me, trust me, like I'm here for you. I'm not, I'm not saying that like pray a prayer and he's going to make everything good and he's going to fix those wheel bearings in your car. I mean, he might. He can do whatever he wants. He created this universe. He spoke things out of nothing. He can, he can do that. But he can probably also tell you, you might want to get that fixed. You might want to get that looked at. Here's the Spirit of the living God asking us this morning, where is your trust? Are you trusting him? I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And as we get ready for communion, that's my comment today. Are you going to live through the Spirit. And I, I really encourage you, it says in First Corinthians that you, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't just haphazardly come up here and consume this gluten-free bread. Yes, if you have intolerance, it is gluten-free. I'm going to make sure everybody can partake. I encourage you as we go into worship, not just to run up there as like, oh, this is what we do. This is part of the church and we're going to put this, you know, we do intinction. Yeah, yeah, real fancy. All that means. Loose terms, you pick up a piece of bread, you dip it. Like, just try to dip the bread. Not the fingers. Kidding. And you're going to take it back to your seat and you, you can pray. And I, I encourage you because this, in, in my opinion, and I, I'm a love, I mean, we set communion, our communion is once a month, every month on, on certain days and we rotate that so our kids' ministry people don't miss it every month. So if it's on the third or fourth, you'll be like, do we do communion? Because you're always in the back. So we love our kids' ministry people. And as you come here, you're de- de- declaring that you cannot and he can. The resurrection and life is in this declaration. So as much as this is symbolic, as much as you're saying, this is his body broken for you, this is his blood shed for you, that without those two things, you would not have hope to enter into the presence of God. But because of these things, and and I don't know what's going on. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if your life is all jacked up right now and you are just like, you're falling apart. And here, here's the beauty. You don't even have to tell him all, you know, the hours that it would take to tell him all the things that are going on in your life. Right now, he knows exactly what's going on with you. And that right now, leading into worship that's going to begin in just a second, before communion, you can go, God, I'm, I'm 100% trusting in the flesh. I'm 100% trusting in me, and I, I, need, to, I need to step out of that. And, and I want this to be a declaration of that.
You know, it's funny to think this little piece of bread, little piece of juice can be like a literally a step of obedience of going, you, not me, brings life. Because of what he's done for us, he did what we were unable to do. And so as we take communion today, just say, God, I'm yours. I surrender. What he needs from you is not more work. He needs more surrender. And out of that surrender comes more work. But if you try to work without the surrender, you'll be doing things for the wrong reason. You'll be doing things in the flesh, which doesn't please God. And so let me let me just tell you, if you're new here or if you've never had communion with us, um, one of the big questions is, is who it's for. If you're a child of God, whether this is your first Sunday here with us, you are welcome at his table because it's his table. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to pray. We're going to go into communion. You, when you're ready, can come up front with your family or by yourself and grab your communion. You can pick a corner and pray or you can go back to your seat and take communion. But make it a declaration. Declare, like, God, this is my power. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and your mercy that we have breath in our lungs. And it's by your power and your power only that we have freedom from. And so, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, whether that be confession and repentance, whether that be turning to you right now. Lord, we declare as we partake in communion today that you have done what we were unable to do. That the power of my resurrected life is in communion today. Because we're declaring that until you return, your death, burial, and resurrection, the hope and life that you offer in and through us. Lord, we desire to be your children. But we struggle in this world trusting in you Above all else. And Lord, we just pray that today that you would recenter that. You would rebalance us today, trusting that we can stand firm in who you are in us. Because there is therefore now no condemnations for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is our declaration. So, Lord, receive our worship. Be honored in how we celebrate you through communion today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.